lots and lots of spoilers. Greetings, my excellent friends. Welcome to Max Mike's Excellent Movie Adventure. In our series, I'd forgotten how much I hate time travel. This week, we're dealing with a narrative that integrates time travel as the mechanism for resolving the central plot conflict, which, of course, addresses the most significant of temporal events, passing high school history. (laughs) Yes, it's time to pay tribute to those two most triumphant chrononauts, Bill and Ted, and their respective excellent adventure. This movie has it all. Comedy, romance, philosophy, classical music, corn dogs, water slides, truly the very essence of temporal malleability. Yes, this movie addresses the critical question, what happens when you give two colossal nincompoops access to technology that can effectively warp the time-space continuum? And how can we play that for laughs? (laughs) Starring Alex Winter and some guy named... Canoe, Kavanaugh, Kanye, whatever. I think this was his last one. I think it's pronounced quinoa. Something like that, but it's not ours. I'm Max S. Levine, Esquire, and over there is my esteemed colleague, Mike, can't think of a nickname loose. Party on, dudes. Chrononauts? Chrononauts. They're delicious. No, no, there was that pastry they have in Brooklyn. Mm. (laughs) We're not in Brooklyn. (laughs) We should be. Hey, yo, I'm walking here. Why should we be in Brooklyn? Because uh, everyone should be. I thought everything was sunnier in Philadelphia. Yeah, oh well. Uh, something like that. <laughs> but you know, a tree grows in Brooklyn. Oh, good. Just, I gotta go. Just, just the one. <laughs> uh, but before we get to that, we have to, of course, get to last week's poll question. Poll question. Yes, poll question. Poll question. What poll. is your favorite poll? Barber? Done that. Fire? <laughs> fire department? Acrobat, cavalier, um, <laughs> dungeon master. <laughs> what prop, scene piece, or MacGuffin from a movie would you most like to own? We got a few. We got some interesting answers here. Amber Stevens says Scarlett O'Hara's straw, wide-brimmed hat with a green ribbon, the one she wore to the barbecue at Twelve Oaks. It's beautiful, unique, versatile, and green is my favorite color. That is an awesome hat. Yeah, Kelly Cooper. That goddamn briefcase from Pulp Fiction. I was thinking of that one, so I can look inside and see what the hell is generating the golden glow. Note, I know this is ridiculous. Of course you do, Kelly, because you know it was a light bulb. Well, and also, we know one thing it isn't. An Oscar. Anyway. No. <laughs> yeah. from, uh, from Mike's sisterly connection, Val, I've always wanted the hourglass in The Wizard of Oz. Ooh, that's good. I love the dragons in the corner. Uh, Assistant Stephen, after considering everything from the ring from Lord of the Rings to the bag of sand from Raiders of the Lost Ark in the opening scene, he settled on Big Julie's pipless dice from Guys and Dolls. That's unique. I like that. Huh. That's, yeah. Hmm, bag of sand, I, huh? <laughs> I, I should tell. I should tell you, Stephen. If you want, if you get a bag and fill it with sand, you've got the prop. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. That we, if, uh, folks who don't remember, the Hourglass made a guest appearance in a film a few weeks ago. It showed up in the Seven Faces of Doctor Low, Lao, yep. Lou, however one wants to. Say. Oh, Lou, Steve, Lou, Lou. Steve, um, Doctor Steve. Yeah. From Dave, Dave. Have, he wants the cone of silence. <laughs> now, before you say it, it is not just from the TV show. They use the cone of silence in Get Smart the movie. 
But it never works. It never did. If I was still in a big firm, I would want one in a conference room so that if I get sick of a meeting, I could avoid discussing things with my coworkers. That's why he wants it, because it doesn't work. <laughs> it's actually uh, very practical. Most other people just want them to have things, but that's very practical. He has a use for his prop. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, from Benjamin Carl, he wants the owl from Clash of the Titans. Boobo. <laughs> but I want it from before they made the movie so as to prevent the anachronism. <laughs> Good everyone, planning. I like this. I mean, everyone knows it was an R2-D2 stand-in. Yeah, yeah. Like, ancient Greek needed that, but uh, thanks, uh, Javi. It's Raph speaking. He from, knows my God, from my godson, Ned, anything from the Lord of the Rings would be nifty, but if I had to pick a specific thing as a keepsake, the oscillation overthruster from Buckaroo Bonsai would be fun. Yes, it would. It's, Apparently, someone makes and sells a vape pen in its likeness, which kind of renders it a little less exciting. I got to admit, yeah, that, that's kind of true. Well, the weird thing is, is that that is also one of those props that occasionally just shows up in things. I've mm. never been able to catch it, but it is apparently fairly obviously used in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. And uh, from our Great White Connection, Vince. Vince. If I could have any prop, it would be the robot from Metropolis. Oh, Maria. Oh, Vince. I don't know, want to know what you'd use it for. <laughs> Max! Some guys made a copy of the suit from the original plans with the original materials and looked amazing. Much better than the paper mache thing I saw at the Berlin Film Museum a few years back. I wouldn't be surprised if that was better. Yeah. Oh, so thank you, folks. Those are all great uh, answers. And we will be sending you your, commem your commemorative MacGuffin bumpy bucks. As soon as we can beat them into submission and get them in the box with the air holes. They're so really, Mike, really rowdy. Yeah. Yep. So, Mike, what uh, what prop would you want? I utterly forgot to think about <laughs> this particular Or question. anything. <laughs> ever. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's some uh, th choices I expected but didn't get. Lightsabers. I want Luke's lightsaber. I want Darth's lightsaber. Because, which admittedly, no, uh, because our readers are intelligent enough to know, our readers, our listeners, are hey, they <laughs> so might have read the website. So uh, I said they're, they're intelligent. I didn't say anything about me. Uh, they know that it wouldn't be. It would just be the handle. Well, yeah, but that's, that's it's not a prop. A, that's the whole point. You still want the prop. Um, I, you know, that's a tough one because, I mean, yeah, you could sit there and say lightsabers or, you know, honestly, my little geek heart would absolutely love a uh, screen-used hero communicator or phaser from the original oh, Star Trek show. Okay. Um, I have the Bluetooth communicator, which I have to say is freaking fantastic. <laughs> um, if you if you are a Star Trek fan and you've not seen this, it, I don't know if they still sell them. It was about 150 bucks, which is honestly utterly worth it. Um, <laughs> It is as accurate as you're going to get in a now, prop. This is the old show communicator, oh, the this flip is, phone? This is TOS, as they call it, or the original uh, series. Uh. It is as screen accurate as you're going to get. And it works. So you can actually wow. use it as a Bluetooth-enabled uh, addition to your phone. So if your phone rings, you get the actual beep they used in the show. You can then take out your communicator, flip the lid, it makes the actual sound it's supposed to, and you can sure. have your phone call on the communicator. I gotta say, the recursive irony of this is a bit much, considering one of the first flip uh, uh, cell phones, the StarTech, was designed based on the Star Trek communicator, and now we've gotten back to where <laughs> we can use the Star Trek communicator as a cell phone. Yeah. 
Um, you can use voice activation. So you push a button and tell it to call somebody and it will call somebody. There's programmed in voices from the show. So you push buttons different ways and you get different people saying things. Um, so in essence, I kind of have what I want, but it is so sweet. By the way, we are not getting paid for this promotion, but if whoever makes it wants to send us a couple of free ones. Yeah, we haven't had free. any more ticket offers since uh, Rogue Warfare 2. <laughs> or was it 3? Rogue, it was Rogue three. Warfare 3, yeah. So Max, how about you? Um, I'm not sure. Most of the time, the props uh, don't really look look as cool off the set. The one I would kind of like is from Lord of the Rings, but it's not the one ring. I'd like Gandalf's ring, oh. uh, Narya, the Ring of Fire, which we only see in that one shot at the Grey Havens, the one with the red stone. I think that's a really cool design. I really liked the interpretation of Narya that way. I'd I like thought you were, I actually thought you were going to say his staff. I was very close. I was going to say, "Up oh, Max is going to say Gandalf's staff." I, the staff is nice, uh, but uh, I w- I'd want. Th- but I'm not going to walk around with it. I'd like something I could actually wear. You wouldn't take an old man's prop, would you? <laughs> what do you mean your prop? This is Peter Jackson's prop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. I think yeah, uh, yeah. I found out recently that um, Elijah Wood has Sting. Like he actually. Oh owns yeah. Sting. Okay. Yeah. I know there's a whole bunch of people have, there were like, what, 15 copies of the One Ring, and yeah, all know. of them got stolen. Well, you know. <laughs> or borrowed. I think uh, I think Elijah Wood has one of them, but I think Peter Jackson let him keep it. Well, then he went and threw it in a volcano, so that's gone. Can't get yeah, him that anything, was just careless. Kid. I mean, God. <laughs> that's, that's why he can't have nice things. Speaking of nice things, Max, what nice question do we have for next week? Next week, can you think of a mediocre or even bad movie that has one really great scene or really great performance that almost saves it. Doesn't have to completely save it, but that makes you go, eh, I'll watch. If you come across the movie, it's like, oh, that scene is on. I'll watch that scene, but I don't want to watch the movie. Mm. And then you end up watching it anyway and feeling guilty all next day. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> cool. So folks can answer that in the usual yep. ways, which? We will describe at the end. That's right, because we have a lot to talk about when it concerns the Bill movie. and Ted. Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted. Discuss. The show. Trivia. Budget, $10 million. Oh. Worldwide gross, $40 million. Oh, dang. Yeah, this one was more of a sleeper hit. This built up a, a huge following over the years. But it was a success, as we know, because there was a sequel a couple of years later. Uh, there and, were two an- and another one 20 years later. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. I, I have. We can talk about that if, later if you like. Yep. Uh, first of all, let's address a certain elephant in the room. This movie, the, uh, Bill and Ted, came out in 1989. Wayne and Garth first appeared on Saturday Night Live during the 1988-89 season. People have, pointed, have long debated which was one a ripoff of the other. I would have to say no. Yes, they're both about two slackers, but the characters are very, very different. Not the, um, not, hmm? there's, I saw the similarity, too. The thing is, is, I actually saw that the film came out in 88. Regardless, production started way before that. Oh, yeah. It, came, it was started, I think, in 86 or 87. We'll get to that. So I, now, I, think, it's I think it's just we, one we, of those things. Because like the whole you know, trope of dimwit the val- Californians. The Valley, the valley Dude, along I, with the Valley Girl, was a big thing in the late 80s. It was. And yes, I know that Wayne and Garth are supposedly from Aurora, Illinois, but, yeah, you know, yeah. let's face it, they would have fit in in California, too. Uh, yeah. At least stereotypically, no offense, Californians. Yep. 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 So, uh, we may come back to that, but 
Uh, Alex Winter claims that he gets two types of letters from teachers. Positive ones from history teachers for encouraging students to learn about history, and negative ones from English teachers for affecting the way the students speak. <laughs> That's well, fair. You know. For many years, Keanu Reeves lamented that his epitaph would be, Here lies Keanu Reeves. He played Ted. <laughs> Clearly, he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. No. Yeah. Uh, in the original script, the time machine was a 1969 Chevy van. Yeah. The filmmakers thought that was a little too similar to Back to the Future from 1985, so they changed it to a phone booth, totally unconcerned with the fact that Doctor Who uses a phone booth as a time machine, but didn't no, matter. this is a police box. It's a but it is, yeah, it's a police phone booth, which is. But, of course, that's foreign, so it doesn't care. Nope. Uh, in the film, Bill and Ted claim that they need Mr. Edward Van Halen in their band to make it better. After the film was released... Eddie Van Halen said he would have been glad to join the band if they had just asked. <laughs> uh, when Napoleon finishes his water slide presentation in the big history presentation, Ted looks up and says, I don't think it's going to work. Uh, Napoleon is actually diagramming his most disastrous defeat, the invasion of Russia. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. He would not be the last person to make that big mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in two... Yeah. This movie has had a big effect on the town of San Dimas, California. Real place. In 2010, the city celebrated 50 years of incorporation, and the celebration slogan was, San Dimas, 1960-2010, to 2010, an excellent adventure. <laughs> I think that's nice. Originally, the plot was going to have Bill and Ted visit and accidentally cause all of history's greatest tragedies, <laughs> including the sinking of the Titanic and the crash of the Hindenburg. That would have been a really dark movie. Well, also, how would they have gotten out of it? Oh, let's go fix it, huh? I don't know. <laughs> Nothing bad ever happened in history, thanks <laughs> to Bill and Ted. In, uh, in an interview in 2013, Alex Winter called casting George Carlin a very happy accident. They were going after very serious people first. They were trying to get, like, Sean Connery to be <laughs> Rufus. They were also trying to get Ringo Starr, which I think could have worked. Mm. But... Uh, they had the idea way after they started shooting to use George. And the whole movie was a happy accident. No one ever thought it would see the light of day. Oh, that's funny because I actually came across, I mean, now I can't remember who it was. They'd actually hired somebody else. And four days before filming, that person backed out. Ah. And that's when they got Carlin, which uh, that was one of my questions. How the hell did they get George Carlin? And they offered him a paycheck. Ah. George wasn't in a lot of movies. Not no, until but, uh, Prince of Tides. That was a that was a pretty major one. I think he almost got the uh, best supporting actor nomination for that. Wasn't that a Baba Wawa film? It was a it was or a Barbara Streisand. Uh, Barbra Streisand film. Yes, not Baba Wawa. <laughs> She's not a uh, prince. Prin <laughs> principal photography was completed in 1987, but the film's oh, original right. original financiers, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, <laughs> went bankrupt. Oh. Yeah. The film was in danger of just being dumped straight onto cable TV until Nelson Entertainment <laughs> bought, bought the rights in 1988 and released it in 89. And, of course, by that time, their lungs were aching for air. <laughs> Wasn't it Relson? I think it was Relson. <laughs> I think it's Felson. But, oh. <laughs> uh, in the book, The Producers, Profiles in Frustration, the producer, Scott Kropf, recalled pitching the script to Dino De Laurentiis himself. According to him, quote, Dino had no idea what the film was about. He didn't understand what dudes were until someone said to him that dudes 
meant guys who had big Johnsons. <laughs> then he said, oh, great, I get it now. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. when everyone else's Ted cry- dies, nobody cries. <laughs> cry, but when his yeah. Ted dies, everybody, <laughs> everybody cries. Cry. Uh, most of the historical figures that Bill and Ted bring back with them died his- horrifically. Oh. Several of them were, including Socrates, Joan of Arc, Billy the Kid, and Abraham Lincoln, were either executed or assassinated. Sigmund Freud died by assisted suicide, and some people believe Napoleon's death under house arrest was because he was poisoned. The only ones who died of natural causes were Genghis Khan and Beethoven. Excuse me, Beethoven. In the original outline of the movie, Rufus was supposed to be a 28-year-old high school sophomore who befriended Bill and Ted. There was also a character named John the Surf, whom Bill and Ted picked up in medieval England. That sounds like Spicoli. (laughs) Sure, if I know that dude. Uh, Joan of Arc, a.k.a. Jane Weedlin, isn't very well known as an actor. She is much better known as one of the original Go-Go's. Oh, <laughs> yes, she's a major, she's a mu- musician, wrote a lot of music, and she was one of the Go Go's. Well, I guess she went went. <laughs> yep, uh, all of the figures that Bill and Ted pick up in history are shown on the blackboard in the opening scene with their prof- their teacher Bernie Casey. I don't know why anyone would ever turn in a late assignment to Bernie Casey. He would scare them. Uh, Rufus never introduces himself to Bill or Ted. The future Bill and Ted introduce him to their past selves. At the Circle K. <gasps> a paradox! Uh, uh, this is, by the way, not the only time Genghis Khan and Abraham Lincoln have appeared together. <laughs> in addition to the animated show Clone High, they were, of course, in the episode of Star Trek, the original series, The Savage Curtain. Oh, help help right. me, Spock. <laughs> help me, Kirk. Help me, Kirk. <laughs> yep, yep. It's important right. that you know that, and... The Rufus's bosses, the three people in the future world, who are listed in the credits as the three most important people in the world, are played by Clarence Clemens, the saxophone player for Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band, Sure. Mar- Martha Davis, the lead singer of the Motels, and Fee Waybill, lead singer and songwriter for the Tubes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. There's a bunch of other stuff about, you know, who could have played whom and uh, various reactions, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, it's plot yeah. time, buddy. So I think you should hunker down and uh, pucker up and uh, get that plot a going. You got, you got it, Buttercup. <laughs> In late '80s San Dimas, California, two most excellent young gentlemen, Bill S. Preston Esquire, Alex Winter, and Ted Theodore Logan, Keanu Reeves, are attempting to form a most triumphant band. Sadly, they are set by many heinous problems, such as the fact that they can't play their instruments for squat. <laughs> Yeah. And they are about to fail high school history class, which will result in Ted being sent away to military school, breaking up the band. Oh, no. Bogus. But <laughs> just bogus. when things look bleakest, or most bogus, they receive a Deus Ex phone booth in the form of Rufus, played brilliantly by George Carlin, a dude from 700 years in the future, who comes to lend them a TARDIS, I'm sorry, a time-traveling phone booth, yeah, okay, a TARDIS, with which they may collect some of history's greatest figures in order to put together a most triumphant history report. The two goofballs travel through time, learning about history, meeting new friends, and even finding romance somehow. So someone 700 years in the future, in an allegedly super-advanced civilization, 
thought it would be a good idea to place the unimaginable power of time travel into the hands of two likable morons whose tenuous grasp of history includes that Caesar was a salad dressing dude. <laughs> How does this movie not end with all time and space imploding? I don't know, but it doesn't. <laughs> the end. The end. The low down. So, Max, we're going to ask, yeah. or I'm weird, like there's more than one of me here. Shut up. No, we aren't. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, did you, I'm going to ask the question I usually ask, which is, did you see this when it came out? Like, did you actually go to the theater to see it? I did. I saw it in the theater. In fact, I think I saw it in the theater a couple of times. Did you, when you went, yeah. he asked knowingly, uh, did you go without anybody because you were kind of ashamed to admit you were going to go see it? <laughs> no, I think I went with somebody, although I can't remember who. Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> I was like, alone? nobody's gonna want to go to this. No, I'm gonna kind of. I just went by myself, and I remember coming out of the film just sort of giggling, and it was like that was fun. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I went into that going, there is no one in this movie I know except for George Carlin. Yeah, because Keanu Reeves, I think, had been in Parenthood, where he played he plays the same character effectively. It's just not played for laughs as much. One could argue, oh, no, we won't. We'll be nice to Mr. Reeves, who apparently is, like, the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, apparently he is, like, the most beloved man in Hollywood. He's apparently an absolute sweetheart. This does not change the quality of his acting. He has say he has a a range. It's just very, very narrow. But he has gotten very good at choosing the parts that fit him, that work with that range. I mean, the John Wick movies, the, the Matrix the first Matrix movie and nothing else ever. Where <laughs> I know there did, weren't he, any, right? Right, right. And there certainly uh, isn't going to be a fourth. Um, yeah, I, there were there were some um, misfires. I would say his appearance in Much Ado About Nothing is um, oh dear, pretty much Much Ado About Nothing. <laughs> no, he w- he was the nothing. I'm afraid. I'm so, I'm sorry, Mr. Reeves. Just, I, I saw that mistake. with my mother, and she described his performance as he looks like he has the worst smelling mustache in the world. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'm, you know, again, uh, Harrison Ford, quite honestly, doesn't have much of a range. What he, he does, a, he does very well. Um, and I think it's fair to say that what he does very well is better than what Keanu Reeves does yeah, very well. well. But yeah, you totally I, believe Ms. Ted. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's absolutely convincing. These guys, it's, one of, it, it's a, a real tribute to both of them that these characters are just so monumentally, not. I don't know if it's stupid or just intellectually lazy, and yet they're so likable because there's this real childlike innocence about them. <laughs> yeah. I would say, that, when we, so you brought up the, the thing in the trivia, if I can, I can throw this yeah. in here. You brought up that people were like, well, this is just like uh, Wayne's World and stuff. thing about Wayne's World is that those two characters, I don't know how old they were supposed to be, but yeah. the fact that they were adults and losers is a big difference between yeah. being high school age and, and losers. Well, in the sh- on Saturday Night Live, they were supposed to be in high school. In the movie, they- they're post-high school. Okay. Because, I mean, we're not buying them as high school pretty much No, ever. no. <laughs> they really aren't. And also, Wayne and Garth don't have the same kind of innocence that Bill and Ted do. Garth does. Well, a little bit, but... Yeah. Wayne doesn't. Wayne really doesn't. They're also much more self-aware, and they're, you know, hell, they break the fourth wall. They're literally talking to the audience. Bill and Ted are, are just completely clueless. <laughs> The opening yeah. of this movie, I was watching the credits, it's like, Orion Pictures, oh. Yeah. Sad. Boy, Orion Pictures, they 
they were a weird little outfit because they kind of came out of nowhere and had big hits. I think they did the original Terminator and they may have done. Didn't they do Time Bandits? They might have. But Orion, yeah. like, had a couple of really big hits. They were, And again, Terminator, if you've, going back to Terminator, and we might, mm. we don't know. Yeah, we might, Rabbit, we might. Was definitely not expected to make any money. It was yeah. not, did not have a big budget. The, I remember I would, I actually almost walked out of it because the opening scenes of the future and the war look really cheesy. The special yeah. effects look like little models and you don't buy stuff. And I didn't drive, so I ended up staying, which is good because the movie is actually really well done. This is back when Cameron could direct. Uh, but Orion had hits like that. They would make low-budget films and suddenly do well. It's kind of like Lionsgate. Lionsgate mm. used to be this, like, well, third or fourth tier, like, chopper films, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And now Lionsgate does everything from art films to, you know, they have they have some of their own franchises. But at some point, they extended too far and they're gone. Yeah. The opening premise of the movie, as we're talking about time travel and the way it works into the narrative, the opening premise is basically a paradox. Right. Rufus, is, it opens with Rufus saying, the, you know, they, it's time, I, we have to go help them. They're, they're, Bill and Ted are going to break up, the band is going to break up, the Wild Stallions, oh boy. <laughs> Which S-T-A-L-L-Y-U-N-S. Yeah, both words spelled wrong. With Y's. Well, well, it's metal. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're going to break up, so he has to go back and help them. However, the existence of their society is predicated on wild stallions and their music uniting the the world and the cosmos and aligning the planets and letting (laughs) them communicate with household pets and stuff. So how does that work? It's got to be a causality loop, which brings up, by the way, the nature of time time travel in this movie. Do we want to get to that yet? No, no, we'll get there later. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to leave the response to your your query here as well till we get to time travel later. Because the thing that I did note, the only thing I'll add is the thing I did notice that they weren't all like, oh my God, we have to go save Bill and Ted. They were like, oh, hey, it's a quarter to saving Bill and Ted. Yeah. You, should, uh, you should go do that thing. But um, I, actually, before we even get, I want to go back to the, uh, the saving grace of Nelson Entertainment, because my first <laughs> note was Nelson Entertainment, a name that reeks of quality. Yeah, by the uh, way, that is the same Nelson as in the band. Is it really? Yeah, they were, they were they connect- have- it was the same family. Because it looks like the thing gives you the impression that it's supposed to be Lord Admiral Nelson, and it has <laughs> anything to do with that. Yeah, no, it's um, Gunner and what's his name? I have Ricky Nelson's kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yay. Um yeah, so so we have this thing they're going to go, and that now we know who Bill and Ted are, and then we cut to San Dimas High School, and we cut to the history class, and we just and we, cut to, we see that they have done nothing; they don't know anything. Uh, I got to say though, the, the when they meet when the, the introduction of Missy still cracks that just cracks <laughs> Shut me up, up. Ted. every you remember you know Missy is uh, Bill's new stepmom, and she is literally four years older than he is. <laughs> <laughs> or three years older, because, you know, you, you remember when we were freshmen and she was a senior? Shut up, Ted. Yeah. <laughs> remember when I asked her to the prom? Shut up, Ted. <laughs> yeah. It's a very weird plot point that is, it's very noticeable, but it's nothing's made of it. Nothing's done no. with it. Or how incredibly it, creepy it, um, Bill's dad is, who has married basically one of his son's classmates. And then proceeds to have sex with her in his son's yeah. bedroom while shoving his son out the door. This also becomes a running gag in the sequel. 
where she at some Missy divorces Ted's uh, Bill's dad and marries Ted's, and then divorces him and marries the villain. But anyway, yeah, it's very. I, odd. I do like the fact that she's always like whenever he says, "Uh, Missy," uh, 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 sorry, Mom. Um, <laughs> like she like she gets uptight if she doesn't call her Mom. Yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that one's that was there was some definite sexism going on. There's some misogyny because the impression is that she just sleeps with everybody. Which okay, well the fine. Wi- the way the women in this movie are kind of a problem, like the princesses. Yeah, why they you know Bill and Ted have a romantic uh, uh, connection with these two medieval princesses. Why? No reason. Why they, just, they wave at they, them? They're there as prizes, basically. They just yeah. Oh, don't forget Miss of Arc though. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Miss of Arc. Can we call you Joan? She's actually considering she has no lines in English. Is a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, uh, I like where start, we, she's seen. She's in. They're in jail, and she's praying. And Bill and Ted appear to rescue her, and she just looks up, crosses herself, and says, "Merci Dieu, thank you God." Like, <laughs> oh, good, thank you. You answered. Not surprised. Oh, God has sent me Bill and Ted to get me out. Sure, he did. Yeah. I, let's. I, one thing I want to get in here real quick. If you somehow haven't seen Bill or Ted, Bill and Ted, or don't know anything about Bill and Ted, you really can't take this movie seriously at no, all. No. It's not. You know that from the beginning. There's no way to take yeah. it. Take it seriously. Well, yeah, but you you. Yeah, you yeah. have to take it less and less seriously as the movie well, goes good on heavens, because it, initially the big future guys they use the greeting. You know, Reeves is leaving and says, "Be excellent to each other." And the and to which Clarence Clemens in that awesome voice of his responds, "Party on, dude!" Absolutely yeah. deadpan. And but that's like, how it starts. Yep. You get Bill and Ted, and here's the first thing you have to swallow with the giant salt tablet: is they're going to flunk school if they don't pass history. Yeah, one this implies class. <laughs> that somehow they have passed the rest of the classes. <laughs> And seeing no, Bill no. and Ted, hang on. That mm. nope. I gotta disagree. You, I gotta point out. I don't think you're right there. Oh, Bernie, uh, their teacher never says they're going to be expelled or they're going to fail. He says, "I'm going to have to flunk you. He, they will fail history." The only one who has a really drastic consequence is Ted, because his father has said, "If you fail history, you're going to military school." Which sounds like if you fail history, but he does. No one says that. No one at any point says that he is about. He's about to be uh, to flunk out of school. It's just this one course. The implication <laughs> is they don't do well at all, because why? That's would what they? I'm saying. But we don't My know point that. Is, we don't know they failed anything else. No, that's what I'm saying. My point is somehow they haven't failed ah, everything else, yeah. and we're supposed to believe that. Um, uh. No, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> They're very nice people, and maybe eventually they'll show some actual aptitude for music. Don't think so. Um, Yes, I have seen the sequel. Um, But let's face it. These guys don't do anything. They hang out and pretend to be in a rock band, which they've probably been doing since they were 10. Yeah. And they, they, they really do play their instruments exactly the way people who thought you could learn how to play a guitar by watching MTV would play them. Yeah. It jump around, wildly wave your arms, and yeah. grab the fretboard. And that's about yes. it. Now you forgot screaming your band. Oh, name. Oh yeah, screaming your band <laughs> name. That's that's that important. Helps. Oh yeah. So that's your first like. Okay, I believe that they are not failing all the rest of their classes. Somehow it's just history. Okay, I'll I'll buy that. Yeah. Then we have to deal with the time travel, and it's like, well, we knew it was a time travel film, and anytime there's time travel involved, no matter what form it takes. 
and we'll see some interesting forms later on, uh, you just have to go, okay, time travel. Whether it's a, a weird, yep. put-it-together, made-up box, like it could be a homemade computer from um, last week's film, yeah. Primer, or Tenet, where it apparently is some sort of weird round room, I guess, thing, or a DeLorean or yeah. whatever, you have to just go, okay, we're going to deal with time. Okay, it's a phone booth, fine. Yeah. It's a phone booth. And then the thing I like is... They make it very clear that the science is has nothing to do with it because at one point, oh. Bill asks Rufus, "How does it work?" And Rufus responds, "Modern technology, William. That's it, <laughs> technology." Yeah. It's like, all right, good. You have just told us you're not even going to try. We no. shouldn't try to figure it out. This is actually nope. narratively really nice. It takes a lot yeah. of the pressure off. It's not like, oh God, should I be trying to? Uh, figure out how this works. No, we just know that if the antenna on the top of the phone booth gets damaged, it, it screws up, but you can fix it with chewing gum. Yes, the antenna, which is not at all the interior splines of an umbrella. No, certainly <laughs> not. Why would you think that? Yeah. Okay, so then we get to that. Now, now what are they going to do? They have a history report, which is the, and the, the whole point of the report yep. is to so, say how you think somebody from history would see San Dimas Modern today. day San Dimas, yeah. So, of course, their whole idea is, well, the best way to find out is to go get them and bring them to San Dimas. Which, again, feeds into the whole laziness thing. It's like, yeah, we're not going to actually try to write something. We're not going to try to speculate. We're actually going to find these people and just ask them. Yeah, which, and, I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> idea, but... Uh, We're skipping to the head, but it actually works out pretty well. It works out very well, but what, what yeah. I don't... Un this is the part I don't understand. I guess I understand from a narrative point, but at one point, Rufus says, here you go, take the phone booth, you're going to go into the past, and they ask him, why can't you come with us? And he doesn't really answer that, and I would like to know why he can't go with them. He's already interfered in the timeline. Why does he think it's safer to leave these two clod poles alone with something that can violate the laws of time and space? Well, and here's the other thing. He shouldn't worry so much about playing with the time stream because they're about to. And yeah. this Bill and Ted is a delightful film. You really can't think about it much at all because no. the first thing they do is they go back to the wild, wacky <laughs> West. And who do they pick up but Billy the Kid? Mr. I want to know, kid. how do they know him? They don't, don't know. they don't know who Napoleon is. They don't know who Socrates is. But they yes, know... They, excuse me, they did know who Napoleon oh, right, was. He was the short, short dead, dead dude. dude. <laughs> yes, and they thought Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Yeah. But they know, but they know who the, who Billy the Kid is. Sure. So they go back and they get to the Wild West and they walk into a a, a bar, a saloon, if you will, yeah. and nobody is paying them any attention. Which okay, fine, whatever. And then Billy the Kid comes in and basically tries to get them to be part of a crooked um, poker game. Which, if he had taken ten seconds, <laughs> would have realized was an incredibly bad idea. Yeah. Dude, three aces. <laughs> <laughs> and then. They take Billy the Kid, as they're being chased by the entire town, they take Billy the Kid out of the timeline and they put him in the phone booth. Uh, now, yeah. knowing anything about Billy the Kid, as you have just told us, this tells us that later on, they take him back only so he can be executed. I was, I was thinking that. It's like, they disappear in front of the entire town. How right. is it that when they bring him back, he's not immediately burned as a witch? Yeah. And I, you know... Again, can't think about this film at all, no. but why doesn't at some point he say, hey, so what happens to me 
It's like, oh, oh, oh um, you know that. I mean, to be fair, those guys could be like, oh, they wouldn't I know. know. How would they know? <laughs> uh, maybe they'd say, uh, you know, a dude named Pat Garrett. Stay away from him. <laughs> and then from there, they go to ancient Greece. Yes, and, and somehow that's s- fine. That is, they bring up Socrates. <laughs> Actually, I like that Socrates. And I'm going to call him Socrates because in this film, sure, he's Socrates. He is. That. Socrates, uh, that Socrates and Billy the Kid seem to end up becoming friends. And Billy, and they point this out, Billy is remarkably calm about time travel. As they say, you're handling it with the greatest of ease. We don't know why. He never explains. He's just, he's the most chill of all of them. And he's picking up (laughs) the way they speak. And he doesn't seem to be bothered at all. Then they go to medieval England for no reason. I mean, that actually is one of the few times that one of the things about this movie is the pacing is really good. This yeah. is one of the times it drags. Well, they also don't have a specific goal. Yeah. They even said, oh, who should we get? Oh, someone important. Let's get I that bet they guy. live in that castle. And that's where they yeah. meet these two princesses whose names, by the way, we never, we don't learn until the second movie. Right. That's Elizabeth and Joanna, if you care. And uh, admittedly, you get a couple of really funny scenes. Like when they're playing in the armor, which I want to know, how do these two Nimrods figure out how to put on full Maximilian tournament plate armor in 20 seconds? That stuff is really tricky to put on, and you usually need another guy helping you. Well, if you're going to be thinking about it, then how did Ted fall out of it? Yeah, that's that's the other thing. How does he fall out of his armor? But I think that this whole scene, which really just ends up with them meeting the princesses. Yeah, that's it. Because you have to have romance because Hollywood doesn't understand not having romance in a film and then running away from the 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 king and his party trying to kill them the entire actual point of that scene is so that Bill can say you killed Ted you medieval dickweed <laughs> which is a brilliant there is some <laughs> there are some hilarious lines in this I mean the one everyone always quotes strange things are afoot at the circle K and yes you killed Ted you medieval dickweed it's genius there yeah. is a joke in there that really hasn't aged well when Bill is delighted to find out that Ted hasn't died and they hug and then they oh, immediately yeah. break off and in unison say, fag. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's like, ooh, okay, cringe. There's one other we'll get to uh, later. Yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 that's awkward. But again, it's also completely believable for the era. Yeah. It's actually, I'm going to take this into a broad vaguely related point it's actually a very sad indication of toxic masculinity because basically society says two guys can't love each other unless Mm. they're gay and that gay is bad and so these two guys let's face it bill and ted love each other they've been together forever yeah and that's fine and they're both straight and that's fine but as soon as you approach even a hint of that, everything gets bad. And it's just, I think it's, it's really sad that two is. guys can't just be friends and love each other as friends because that somehow can, that somehow weakens their masculinity or some weird crap. Yeah, but yeah that's where that joke comes oh. from. And that's my yep. little side trip. So oh, we they leave medieval times. Yeah, We actually skipped one. As, oh. a, as a demonstration, they end up during the Napoleonic Wars, and by oh, accident, right. they bring Napoleon <laughs> back with them. I, I forget that. And Napoleon, <laughs> I, I got to say... Uh, they're long, lengthy scenes, but he is hilarious. Yeah, the stuff they you know they they fob him off on Ted's little brother Deacon, Deacon. who is the most chill <laughs> teenager I've ever seen, and yeah. he just like takes him out to get ice cream and yeah, 
and then ditches him at the price him at the bowling. And alley. I love the how could you ditch one of history's greatest figures? He was a dick. <laughs> it's like you yeah. know what? That's a pretty good sum up of Napoleon. Yeah, probably. Then, um, and there is that sequence where Napoleon discovers the the Waterloo water park. <laughs> First of all, there is no water park named called Waterloo in San Dimas. There is a real water park in San Dimas. It's a big one. That's it may fine. even have been the same one. Now, this scene makes no sense. It doesn't belong in the movie. It it stops the plot, but it's adorable. <laughs> it's so cute. He because Napoleon going around in his nineteenth century underwear, which is see through and it's wet. I'm just pointing out, <laughs> discovers the joys of a water slide. And he yeah. gets so into it; it's a, it's so cute. He gets he's just like a big kid, and he get yeah. he he doesn't want to stop. He just goes on and on, and he loves it, and he's so happy. This has nothing. This does nothing for the plot. Well, he does adopt the philosophy <laughs> of water slides yeah. to act as his attack matrix for going after Russia. You could have done that in thirty seconds, but they did this. Yeah. This is like a five minute scene, and it's worth it. It works just because the sheer joy in it. All yeah. I can say is the actor who plays him must have had a ball because he just kept getting to go on the water slide over and over again. Well, I love how they don't even explain where he went. Yeah. Right. So he they they ditch him at the bowling alley, and then the next thing he's outside, and he says something to them Decon? in French, mm-hmm. and then uh, the next thing we know. Bill and Ted are back in quote unquote present time, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, where where Napoleon go?" And so. Somehow during the night, Napoleon hasn't gotten arrested, nope. hasn't gotten hit by a car. He ends up at a water park because why not? So again, I was kind of surprised. Don't, don't think. Napoleon's <laughs> walking around with a saber, and the bowling alley manager throws him out. Why didn't he just skewer him? <laughs> I, I mean, the know. guy's a general. He thinks he can kill anybody. But uh, yeah. so the Bill and Ted then do this sort of quick montage of grabbing, and this I think worked well because we had a sort of involved. A couple of involved sequences where they get you know, Socrates and they get Billy the Kid, and then they sort of just start grabbing people at random. Although I still want to know how they would know what Sigmund Freud looks like on the street. How um, would they have reckoned? Unless there's a picture of him in the textbook they're using. There might have been. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, he does look pretty much, you know, white beard glasses <laughs> the way that Sigmund Freud look. And then they go um, back to 13th century Mongolia and grab... <laughs> Genghis Khan, who is played by the mighty Al Leong, who, if you have ever seen any movie made in America with a martial artist, he's in it. Because he's in everything. Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China, uh, Die Hard. You yeah. know this guy. The guy actually was like a world champion of soft style karate. Oh, he's still making movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what soft style karate is, and I only know to pronounce it karate because of Dave. Our legal Ooh. and karate expert. Ooh. Yeah, that Dave, maybe you can tell us, what is there such a thing as soft style karate? Doesn't sound right. Maybe it but, doesn't hurt as much. Yeah, maybe that's it. Or <laughs> hit each other with pillows. Yeah, and they, they get him and uh, uh, they Joan grab of Joan of Arc, who, <laughs> and Ted, when they appear before her, Ted does the pose exactly like the birth of man from Michelangelo. <laughs> We're just reaching out one finger to her. And then they grab uh, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Because why not? And and Beethoven and yeah, and again Beethoven. another scene with Missy I just love is when they reappear at uh, Bill's house and they try to introduce all of them and they're trying <laughs> and to make, make up names, names. and, and you know, like you know, Dennis Frood, uh, <laughs> Socrates Johnson, Maxine <laughs> of Arc, 
and, and then they just run out and uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln and Missy doesn't bat an eye. No, she doesn't. And then, of course, the unspeakable happens that they go to the mall yeah. to introduce them to finally get to their paper. Yeah, to actually get they, to the topic. They want them to see modern day San Dimas and they let them loose in a mall, which proves to be, what a shock, a mistake. Yeah, because they all actually enjoy themselves far too much. Yep. I can't tell if my favorite is Joan of Arc taking over the aerobics <laughs> class or Genghis Khan taking the baseball bat and the aluminum and, baseball bat and thinking, oh, this is even better than my club. And, and then putting on hockey gear and a football helmet. It's like, <laughs> this is the greatest armor I've ever seen. I like Beethoven in the music store playing the yeah. electric keyboards and drawing this huge crowd, except my question is, by this point, the year that they're given, he's almost completely deaf. How does he know what the stuff sounds like? What? Yeah. <laughs> and yet, it's you don't care. It's still very cool. And I, it's also just goofy watching Socrates, Billy the Kid, and Sigmund Freud <laughs> hitting on mall chicks. And creepy. Thankfully, they know enough to go. There's one, one of the girls that's like, oh, look at his sandals. It's like, why are you looking Socrates' yeah. Socrates' feet? That's nasty. And they, of course, they get arrested. Everybody except Napoleon gets taken to jail. And yeah. at this point, and here we get more into the time, go. Bill and Ted actually begin to realize the practical applications of time travel. Unlike almost everybody else in yes. a time travel movie ever. Yes, they start, I mean, how, God, how do we get them out? He goes, well, I'm Wait a minute. What if after the report we use the time machine to go back, get my dad's keys, and they start figuring out we can set up all this stuff by going back in time after the report? Now this I do have to talk about. This brings in a very odd rule that Rufus sets for them, which doesn't fit the internal logic of the movie. No, it does not. You know right where I'm going. Yep. At the beginning, Rufus points at Ted's watch and says, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, that clock, the clock in San Dimas is always running. So it doesn't matter where they go in time, they have 10 hours relative to them to get the report done. Yeah. Why? No Why? Idea. This doesn't make any sense at all. They can literally go anywhere in time and return at any other point. And, and I know this because in the second movie... At the very end, they disappear off stage in the time machine, reappear a second later. I mean, almost instantaneously, but they've been gone for 18 months. Right, to learn to play guitar. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Yes, it is. I don't. This, this is not the only movie to have this problem. There's another movie we may do that is seriously, seriously leaning on this quote-unquote problem as a major source of conflict. And that's the only reason that this... 10 hour thing is there yeah. is because otherwise there's the only conflict is them not passing their history test. Mm -hmm. um, but if they had all the time in the world, then it doesn't matter as much, but they have to get back. Oh, we have to figure this thing out. It, What's the other it movie? It makes no sense. What's the other movie where this happens? I, I don't want to say just in case we do Okay, it. okay. Um, but uh, but I, got, I do have one possible explanation. Rufus isn't telling them the truth. Rufus may want, I think this might be, I mean, this, again, is just speculation, but it's kind of a life lesson. It's a, t it's a lesson in discipline and being able to hit a deadline. It may be, because obviously it's not true, because not only do they then rescue the, the historical figures, they obviously spend a fair amount of time rehearsing the presentation, because there's no way they do this incredibly elaborate presentation 
off the cuff. It's very clear that they've taken time to set it up. Well, I'm going to go onto Reddit right now and look under fan <laughs> canon for Bill and Ted's excellent example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, can't take this seriously. Yeah. That whole thing, that whole the clock is ticking thing bothered me too. Yeah. It's about... Honestly, it's about the only thing that bothers me about this movie, which makes no sense in and of itself. Um, there is no ticking clock. If no. you have access to time, you have access to you time. You have literally all the time on you it, want. Yeah. The only other thing I could say is it would actually have worked much better is if they had said, okay, here's the deal. You only get 10 trips. That's okay, it. Okay, that would have worked better. the machine stops working. Yeah. But, which you know, also, yeah, the only other thing I figure is this would also limit the damage they might do. It's like, okay, you've got to use this in a very limited time. You can't just go all over the place doing whatever you want. Which, Which interestingly, they, they never... And again, this this is one of the reasons the characters are so likable. They never think, hey, we could use this to get rich, or we yeah. could use this to you know, get exam answers to cheat on, on our, our school stuff. We could use this to deal with our enemies, if they have any. Well, yeah. Kind of, I kind of wish they had used it to make it so that Ted's dad fell into something heavy, but because uh, <laughs> Ted's dad is a jerk. But yeah. they don't. They don't in any. The only thing they want to do is the, is finish the report. I, technically, that's selfish, but obviously it isn't. It's obviously they need to for the the future. This also, as we're getting toward the end, I want to bring up the nature of time travel in this movie. The rules of time travel. Well, before you get to that, I would like to get to this. Okay. Um, I would like to get to the nature of time travel. We, uh, <laughs> no, we have our talking point yes. questions, and I, we did go put ahead. that off, and I do let, want to talk about it, yep. but go ahead. No, let's have... Let, um, time travel here, as far as I can tell, the past is immutable. Because at no point do they go back and alter something that had already happened. This is also the only explanation why they can show all these historical figures the future, get them... you know completely corrupt their view of time, uh, a view of the future, and then they just put them all back where they came from and nothing happens. <laughs> There's no change to the timeline. The world is exactly the same, and the only way that's possible is if in their universe you cannot change the past. The other thing, too, is that to, for this to make any sense at all, you have to be Bill and Ted. Yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise... If you have any more thought processes above that, it falls apart. But there's even a small, a very small thing that proves this. When Bill and Ted meet each other, you know, the past selves and the future selves meet up, the future Ted says, oh, Ted, don't forget to wind your watch. Because he's like, oh, I forgot to wind my watch, but now I'll remind him, therefore changing the past. But Ted forgets anyway. He doesn't wind his watch. So he even knowledge of the future doesn't help. Well, it, even when they first show up the second time, if that makes sense, at the Circle K, they show no evidence of remembering having spoken to themselves. Mm -hmm. At the very end, they're like, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they're like, what are we going to say to each other? And it's like, well, you just saw what you were going to say to each other. So mm. how do you not know? Um, but yes, I see your point, your point about the fact that time yeah. is immutable, uh, which, you know, when we started this series, we brought up the idea that generally with time travel stories, you get one or the other. Yeah. Either time is not fixed at all, which is a huge, huge mess, or everything is fate and it's already written. Mm -hmm. And so and you can't I, change what's happened. And, and, and also, but this move, because that seems like the least interesting version of time travel, this one actually shows a practical use for it. 
It's like you <laughs> pass history. <laughs> not, no, but to go back and find historical figures, get their insights, and know that you can return them to their own time, and it won't change anything. Well, except obviously it would, because yeah. now all of these people have seen things in the future. Yes. Are you trying to tell me that somewhere, somehow, Abraham Lincoln didn't see a $5 bill? No, of course, or, or someone saying, someone must have made some joke about John Wilkes Booth, or, you know, hey, right. stay away from Ford's Theater. The only other option is when they went back, it formed a dozen new timelines. Every time, <laughs> they all branched off. Well, that's the one we becomes a, a zombie killer, right? Yeah, a exactly. That's hunter, when he becomes right. a vampire hunter, and Billy the Kid <laughs> probably invents the machine gun. Or you I know. think he goes after Cthulhu. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And Joan of Arc <laughs> Wait, becomes a historical. vampire hunter, also. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, whatever. Yeah. Can't just again. If you're if you're about the mind level of Bill and Ted, or perhaps if you've uh, inhaled or imbibed a certain <laughs> substance before seeing this film, th then this will make sense. Otherwise, it doesn't. I do want to get to our little time travel questions sure. if we can before we sure. finish up. So, and this one is actually uh, probably not. I think the answer is not going to be what people expect. But is this a good use of time travel? Yes, I think it is. I think it's the definition of it in the idea of the fixed realm. Like I just said. It's a very good use. It's information. It's learning. Well, I would even put aside the grabbing people from history <laughs> and bringing them to the present as being a good idea. Bill and Ted sit there and they formulate what is the perfect outcome of the situation we're in now. Okay, what needs to happen for that to come about? And they they do it. Yeah. We know they do it because we see them succeed. I have never seen anybody else in it. I remember when I saw this film, I was like, wow, that's really smart. I just sit there and go, oh, if only I had the key to this thing. Oh, well, once I'm through all this, of course, obviously, if you die, then yeah. maybe if the key is not there, you should take that as a sign and get the <laughs> hell out of there. <laughs> but I have never seen anybody else plot or think ahead that way with access to a time yeah, machine. It's so, very yes, clever. Of that too. Yep. Did time travel make for a cohesive plot? <laughs> well, yes, it's the essence of the plot. And I and it actually, let's face it, compared to Primer or Tenet, this is pretty easy to follow, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yes, I think it's, it's, it needs to be. Yeah. Um, does time travel make sense in this story? It doesn't have sure. to. And it is, it, it's reasonably, except for the, the time limit, it's pretty internally right. consistent. It act, and again, sure. I still think that was Rufus messing with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then this one, this last one, though, is the idea of paradox addressed? No, they they no. ignore the, because there is a as we said the whole thing is based on a paradox, right? That yeah. Well, and you when you brought that up, my thought was, it is a paradox and it isn't because just because you know what needs to happen to get a certain result doesn't mean that there is a possibility that it doesn't happen, right? Eh? So, in their history. They know that there's going to be somebody named Rufus and there's going to be somebody named A, B, and C because we mm. never do know what their names are. And they are going to decree that somebody goes back and helps these people in time. So there might even have been an entire group of the government of the future. Of the future! Mm -hmm. Sorry, you have to do that. Yep. Um, that is just dedicated to inventing the time machine that they know will eventually happen. That's, yeah, it's possible. Again, it's a, it could just be a, a causality loop. Right. But they meet themselves, which is usually considered a bad idea. And of course, of all of the characters who've ever tried time traveled, the ones who would probably be least upset at meeting themselves <laughs> are Bill and Ted. Yep, yep. I do like. What that. are we doing there, dude? I don't know. We should ask us. <laughs> that, uh, there's actually uh, uh, whoever I think it's Ted asks this at one point. Uh, Bill, 
is saying, you know, should we should we believe them because they're yeah. giving them advice and and Ted says, why would we lie to ourselves? Yeah, and that's actually kind of an interesting question. <laughs> well, I mean, you could think of reasons, but they couldn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's sure. I'm I'm just gonna go with sure. <laughs> But I, yeah, I just have to wonder, because usually with time travel, especially stuff like that, it, they sort of put forth the idea that being dim is actually a benefit for time travel and all of its paradoxes it probably is. and weirdnesses. Yeah. It's like, because you get to ignore all the things that you don't realize are incredibly dangerous because you don't even see them as dangerous. Mm. So, you know, hey, what's that big brown thing coming towards me? Maybe it'll want to be friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, uh, I, I, we're at that point. We should, uh, yeah. Cause you know, we said we liked it then, but that was 1989. Yep. Do we like it now? The roundup. So Max. Yeah. You saw it when it came out. I, I saw did. it when it came out. So you liked it then Max. It's been a long time and now you're looking at it with the more sobered, more considered, the wiser outlook Bad of an adult. Death. Oh, what? <laughs> That's a cat grandpa. Oh, right. <laughs> What uh, what do you think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I think it holds up very well. I think it is most triumphant. Yeah, it still makes me laugh. I still like the characters. I think it's still really well paced. I got to say, the final presentation at the end, I love. I think it is so fun. Where it is you know, Bill, where where you know Sigmund Freud is psychoanalyzing Ted on stage, and <laughs> Joan of Arc is sparring with Bill. And it's just so much, although I got to say one part really didn't age well either. And that's Billy the Kid shooting off a gun in a high school auditorium. Yeah. That's, that's kind of awkward. Even yeah. I remember worrying about that in the first time I saw it because he shoots an overhead light. I'm going, he just broke all the glass. It's right over the kids. What, what is he thinking? Actually, it was a spotlight, so it was over stage. So he just hurt himself. Yeah, great. Yeah, there's a stage full of people and broken glass pelting down on them. I also no, 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 it's on the stage. Yeah, and I, it's fine. I still have a bit of a problem with the princesses because it just raises so many questions. We don't even know their name. It's like, hi, I am taking you out of your away from your home. You're never going to see your family or your time. Which, admittedly, if you're a woman in medieval in medieval England and you're told, hi, I want to take you to a place where you can li- you won't just have to die in childbirth. You can marry whoever you want, and we invented hygiene. Then I can understand, you know, if it was guys, I don't know, because, you know, why would I want to stay? We, we run everything. But it was two yeah. women going, really? I, I can actually have a say in my life. I'm not somebody else's property. I completely understand why they would want to go, but they don't touch that. They don't touch the fact they don't have birth certificates or social security numbers. Who, where did they get the credit cards? That's nah, the 80s. That stuff was a lot easier yeah. than it involved paper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again... And I, I actually love the fact that they still suck as a band at the end. <laughs> and I, yeah. Rufus looks at the camera going, they do get better. <laughs> what about Apparently. you? You saw it when it came out. How does it hold up for you? I did. I was delighted when it came out. And I was like giggling to myself, as I said, when I came out of the theater. I didn't know anybody else I thought would want to see it. Um it's like when I went to see Ace Ventura, I had to trick one of our friends into <laughs> seeing it. And I didn't tell her until we were in the theater. It was like, um... Yeah, so this film was blackballed by all the critics. <laughs> but of course, that ended up being a lot of fun. I, I love Ace Ventura. Um, I think it does suffer a little bit from 
pacing. I think it's actually mm-hmm. a little slower than today's films. I'm not saying that it was slow for the time, but people want things faster now. And there's a, a few periods where it's a little slow, and mostly in the beginning. Um, it is very 80s. Oh, it couldn't be more 80s it's if it tried. It's But... There are some great lines. I love the part where Sigmund Freud's been arrested and there's Ted's father saying, why do you say you're Sigmund Freud? Why do you say I'm not? Stop (laughs) analyzing me. Tell me about your mother. (laughs) There are some really fun moments. The time travel in this film, it is one of those cases where if you tell a story either well enough, not in this case, Mm -hmm. or entertainingly enough, that's where this goes you can just sort of ignore the fact yeah. that there is so many problems with it. Yeah, it, um, this is not a movie where you're supposed to pay attention to the science or that it doesn't... No. It hangs together. It's reasonably internally consistent. That's all you need for a movie like this. The main this. characters are fun. Yeah. The it, two women characters, sadly, really have no bearing on the plot at all. Nope, none. None. You could take them out, take off their two parts, don't show them at the end, and the movie would be exactly the same. Yeah. Um, they're literally just, you can tell they were thrown in because somebody in a suit said there has to be a love interest. And, you know, kudos to them for basically saying, okay, here they are. And then just not, you know, making the plot all about that. Because yeah. that's what unfortunately often happens. And I'm not saying that all films with guys shouldn't have love interest in them or, or all films shouldn't have them, but they should be there if it merits it. And this story does not need that. You don't need a forced romantic interest. Yeah. Man. Um, I think the the clock to- ticking... The clock ticking part yeah. drove me insane because it makes absolutely no sense. Um, um, there is a literally no impact on the timeline from having yeah. pulled all of these people out of it. Uh, or put, we assume they go back because if they didn't, then that would have caused whatever. Yeah, There's who knows? No- Maybe it's like Socrates goes, wait, I'm gonna, they're going to do what to me? Or Lincoln's like, they're going to shoot me in the head? Really? Maybe. <laughs> Genghis Khan would not have gone as far as he had if he didn't have an aluminum bat. That may be so, it. Yeah. Um, the time travel is is done for for laughs, mostly. There's never really a moment where you actually think the characters are in danger. Certainly not. The, the closest we come is, oh, no, the umbrella broke. Now I have to stick gum to it. Yeah. And that's like 30 seconds of quote-unquote plot. Um, so as far as the time travel aspect, I think that this does not help prove that time travel can make sense in a movie. Uh, Quite the contrary, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, The characters are fun. They made a new sequel last year, which I haven't seen it, which apparently is fun. So sure, if you've not seen Bill and Ted somehow, have some scotch, have a little weed. I think you'll probably enjoy it more, but it's fun. It's not to be taken seriously, but... um, The the sequel is fun too, yep. Yeah, yeah, the second one... (laughs) It's very. It's don't a very overlook different... reaping. Bur- uh, reaping burns a lot of calories. <laughs> oh, don't overlook my butt. Reaping burns That's a lot it. of calories. Yep, yep. But uh, Max, if you would do us a favor, yes. uh, people are dying to know how they can answer the poll question, of which course. they'd like to be reminded of, and how to do so. Mm-hmm. Well, the poll question for next week is: Can you think of a mediocre or even a bad movie that has one really great scene or really great performance that saves it, or at least almost saves it? You know, let us know, and you can let us know either uh, by going to our website, maxmikemovies.com, and leaving a comment, or sending us an email at us, us, at maxmikemovies.com. You can uh, leave us something on Facebook, where Mike will be posting uh, the question. You can, talk to, you can follow us on Twitter, both at, all of these at maxmikemovies. Um, you can send us a carrier pigeon. You can set up a temporal loop that will somehow make the, the answer appear yesterday. Stop the pigeon! Stop Stop the pigeon now! Stab him, 
grab him, jab him, Tab, stab him. Jab. and Stop that pigeon now. Yes, but that is what... So what movie are we going to see in the future? <laughs> yeah, that's what this is all about. Yep. So uh, we've had our fun. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to go back to taking time travel a little bit more seriously because... Uh. Most of the time, that's what Hollywood does. Mm. Um, Bill and Ted was a nice little flight of adventure. Um, but next week, I would like to potentially, I have to check this out because I don't remember. I want to uh, aim more towards Oscar territory. Mm. I want to go to something that has more highly considered performances. Sure. Um, Nuanced. A plot. I'm sorry? Nuanced, yeah. Yeah, nuanced performances, uh, a plot that is has a little bit more science in it, mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. like sort of like Primer, maybe not that yeah, far. A little more highbrow, sure. Yeah, and I honestly can't keep this up. Next week, we're going to watch Hot Tub Time Machine because nothing says science more than Hot Tub Time Machine. So join us and get clean together in time. Yep. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.